Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Get your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians. We, the last two weeks, we, um, we had a little bit of a sojourn away from our series as we had Craig Clark and then Sewing in Summer. But we want to go this week and then next week is the final week of our series. So you don't want to miss out that one. The gripping conclusion to no matter what. You don't want to miss out on that. But this, mo- this morning, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. But just to bring you up to speed, if some of you are visiting or you have forgotten what we are trying to achieve in the series or what the book of Philippians is about, you've got to know three things. They'll come up on the screen behind me very quickly. First question you need to ask when reading any book in the Bible, who wrote it? And we answer that question by saying a man named Paul wrote it. And this amazing man, Paul, if you know anything of his story, if not, I'll tell you now. This man, before he came to Jesus, before Jesus miraculously turned his life around, this man was a Jew of Jews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. This was a man who who was a part of the elite of the religious society. And when this group of followers said there was another way, an only way called Jesus Christ, Everything inside of this man and that, and that society leapt up and said, that can't be true because everything was at stake for them. So this man was promoted and his job for the majority of his life was persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. That was his job. At, at Bryce, I say, what do you do? He says, oh, you know, Monday is a little bit of admin, Tuesday murder a few Christians, Wednesday back, you know, Excel spreadsheets, you know. That was his job. He murdered Christians for a living. Acts chapter 7, you pick up the first martyr, Stephen, Saul, Paul, previously known as, the artist previously known as Saul, was there giving, giving oversight to his death. That was Paul's job. He got his salary for that. And I think the thing that grips us is that this incredible man, Paul, wrote this book. And he actually wrote the majority of the New Testament. And that led us to the place where we say, if you think you're too far gone for God, I want to ask you the question, have you murdered Christians yet? If you haven't, then you're not too far gone. But just in case there's one or two of you sitting at the back again, a bit squeamish, going, oh, I shouldn't have come today. <laughs> shouldn't have been here. The good news is God still can use you, so much so he used the man who murdered Christians to extend the gospel to the furthest place that it had ever been. No one is too far gone for the grace of God. Come on, good news this morning. Thank you, Lord. Even redheads from Zimbabwe. Woo! Come on. So, so cool. Second thing you need to know is who is it written to? And, and we, we asked the question, we answered by saying it was written to a, a group of people who lived in Philippi, which was in Macedonia. It was a Roman colony. And Paul, this man, comes years after his conversion to Christ. He takes the gospel. This is the, the furthest the gospel had gone. The, the gospel had never gone into Europe. This was the first European converts. And he arrives and he starts a church dramatically in Philippi. But it's not all bells and whistles, and he's not received with the, at the airport with fanfare, and people say, welcome, Paul, it's good to have you here. No, he's received with negativity. And because the gospel comes, he gets thrown in jail. The first encounter of Paul and Philippi is he's in jail. Years later, when this book is written, AD 61, eight years later from his first visit, he's actually writing to the Philippian church from jail, another jail cell. This man, Paul, is, has lived most of his, his uh, life after f- deciding to follow Christ in jail cells. And he's writing to them this book. And he's writing to them the final thing we need to ask is, what was he, why was he writing it? And we answer that with the purpose. 
is that we're saying he was writing to them from a jail cell not to tell them, guys, following Jesus is hard, which I probably would have written after being in jail for, for quite a long time, being shipwrecked, beaten for my faith. Or I'd probably say, guys, you know what? Just, just keep quiet. Just, just maybe just do good, just do good deeds. No, that's what I would write. Just, but do it quietly. Maybe just you know, keep, a, keep a low profile because this jail thing is hectic. Sure, three meals a day, but I mean, not great meals. No? I've missed a lot of the sport, yeah? Anyway, that's what I would be writing, if I confess. But Paul is not writing that. The tone of this book, this four-chapter book, this four-chapter letter, the tone is overwhelmingly joy. From a prison cell, he's saying, I want to tell you, they're in persecution. So he's writing to this church who under persecution for their faith, he's saying, you can have joy no matter what. In every season, whether you're in the prison or you are in the palace, you can have joy. Because it's not based on your circumstances. It's based on a man named Jesus Christ. And Paul, you can almost feel the joy leaking off the pages as he writes this. That's what the book is all about. And we've been trying to endeavor to put that into us as a people. And no matter what attitude that you and I here today in this city, in this age, now, maybe not under persecution for our faith to be thrown in prison, but with the pressures and the, 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 all the problems of life that crowd and, and squeeze our soul, that actually when we get squeezed, what will leak out is not complaining and sulking and, and this is not fair, but actually I can have joy no matter what. That's what we're trying to do. So we're going to read scripture this morning. We're going to push on a little bit further. So we're in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 21. It's going to be on the screen behind me. Let's read it together. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it yet, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting what is behind, I press on and strain toward what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some points, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies. This is my favorite part, by the way. He'll take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. I've got a six pack coming. <laughs> Sorry. Using the same power with which he'll bring everything under his control. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you right now this morning in this place, here and now, you would present us so that we would, would lean in with expectation here and that you would bring encouragement where we need encouragement. I thank you, God, your word would bring challenge where we need challenge. And I thank you, God, that your word would bring comfort where we need comfort. We thank you, God, that your word is like a blazing wildfire that brings warmth, but also sets ablaze. And we thank you, God, that it'll do both this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
I'm a storyteller, so I would like to tell you a little bit of a story. Years ago, when I was a, grew up in Zimbabwe, um, before that, before that, I like to go to Zimbabwe very quickly, as you see. But just to let you know, I don't know if you've ever had a family around, or or, or you've got when you, we, my family we used to host a lot of people all the time. We had we had friends, and my parents after church would just bring stranger upon stranger for lunch on a Sunday during the week. We'd have people for dinner, and we just got as boys, we just would would be lumped with entertaining whatever kids came through the door. We'd have to entertain them, you know, a little bit of juggling, a little bit of cricket in the, in the, in the back passage. We'd have to pull out our old videotapes, you know, and show them. Yep, those were the days, videotapes. <laughs> Titanic is yet to come to Zimbabwe, but anyway. Um, but we used to have to do those sort of things, you know, to entertain people, tell jokes, tell stories, to keep these people we'd never met entertained and laughing throughout the week, the, 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 the afternoon. And what would happen when, you know, often it would come where those people who don't, where you talk and talk and talk, and they never say anything back. Anyone know somebody like that? Good. Anyone know somebody who just talks and talks and talks? That's me. Anyway. But you know that moment where you're like, wow, we're scraping the barrel. When the pressure was on, my brothers were incredible. They would be able to divert any moment. When you could see them sweating, like, we, we're out of tricks. These guys, we don't know what else to say to these, these people to keep them entertained. They would go to the default story. The one they knew that it would work. They knew that they, they'd worked it so well. They'd crafted so well because it was at my expense. And they loved it. It still is told at, at Christmas events. It's told again and again. Every now and then we bring someone new home. It's like, have you, we told you the time. When? And I want to tell you that story from my point of view, if that's all right. But years ago, when I was, a, I was in high school, first year of high school, I was 14 years of age, and we were at an all-boys high school called Prince Edward, uh, 1,500 boys, and uh, inter-house sports was huge. It was high on the agenda, even more than probably inter-schools events, because it was just like, just the, the house system was, was rivalry at the highest. And um, I was part of the day scholar house, you know, the ones who went home to mom at night. I was part of that one. And what happened at the beginning of term, they would come and say, cool, we need sign-ups for all the events this year. And they'll say, cool, who's going to sign up for cricket? And I was eager beaver. Me! I'll play cricket. I'm in. And Phillips, great, thank you. Who's going who's gonna to run the 1,500 meters? I'm like, I'm in. I'll do it. You know? Phillips, brilliant. Who's going to play table tennis this week? Yeah, I'm in. Tiddlywinks, come on. That's my game. That's my jam. I signed up for all of it. And then they'll get to the moment. They'll go, great, we need uh, under 14 boys, 50 meter freestyle. And you'd uh, shrink back, you know, because us Phillips boys aren't really good in the water, if I can confess. We're not really, sh- that's not a strong suit. Uh, so I wouldn't put my hand up. But I'll, I'll be honest, so the guys there, listen, and just to let you know, unfortunately at that moment, I was one of the only pale-faced guys in that house. So by default, the guy said, hey, Phillips, you must be great at swimming. <laughs> 50 meter freestyle. I'm like, is that like five widths? What, what do you mean? I don't understand. No, two lengths of a 25 meter pool. And I was signed up for this thing. I went home with big guys going, Mom, go swim in the garden next week. And she was so frustrated because she was like, I was like, I need a speedo. I need a buy one. She's like, this won't last. You borrow your brothers. <laughs> now, if anyone's aware of hand-me-downs, when they get to you, they, they're not looking that great. It's a little bit worse for wear. The speedo, my brother, a little bit bigger than me, so it's a little bit, I'll say, less speedo, more nappy. Um, the elastic had gone a little bit loose and I was actually fraying at the edge. So when I put it on the first time, feeling very exposed, you know, you go, it's like, mom, it's not fitting, it's not, it's not staying up. 
just tie that thing, you know? It's on. Can hardly breathe. But um, I put it on, pulled the swimming cap, the spraying at the edges on, put the goggles on. And before the race, you know, the big moment, the big day came and I was sweating profusely. I've never had big eyes in my, in my life. Going, okay, just remember your training. Remember what you do. You know, and he came out the pool, out of the, the, the change room. And I don't know if you remember, they had the pink disinfectant water outside and you had to walk through it. But you, know, you like, don't want to put your feet in there. Ugh. Athlete's foot, central. Anyway, walk around that. And I just came the crowd roaring, roaring my name as I, th- I thought. They weren't. But uh, come on. And uh, as we climbed up, I remember... Clem, they've got those, uh, the, the, the blocks, the diving blocks, and I had to, had to pull myself up. It's a little bit higher than I could, make sure the costume stays on. <laughs> Looking around and holding it up like this and smiling. And then the moment of truth came as I looked down the row of my competitors, and I saw Greek God, Greek God, Greek God, boys who are 13, 14 year olds with six packs, chest hair, little mustaches, <laughs> rippling muscles. I'm like, Chad LeClaw, Rake Needling, how did you get in this race? <laughs> and these massive team swimmers, this is what they did. You know, they're like flicking the goggles and going, whoa! And I'm like, holding my costume. And the moment came where I looked down the row and I saw lane eight. And now the boarding house had put their guy forward and he was a skinny young black guy. And I was like, that's my man. That's my man. Now, before you get offended, let's be honest, we all watch the 100-meter sprints and Olympics, and we see Usain Bolt and all the, the Trinidad runners and all the American runners, you know, these big, amazing athletes, and you see the poor, thin Polish guy at the end. You know he's there just for the selfie at the beginning, and he's waving. You know, okay? So it's a similar thing in the, in the swimming. Let's be honest. So I knew, there we go, buddy. Seventh place never looked so good. And we're ready. We're ready to go. And they're on your marks. And I go down, make sure the costume's on. Get set. And that, that, that clap went. And I dived ungainly in with one foot up and hit the water. Oh, lovely belly flop. But it was all right. We were, we were off and running. And I went back into my, go back to your training, young Padawan. And I was like, one stroke, two stroke, three stroke, breathe. One stroke, two stroke, three stroke, breathe. I'm like, and after I started going, I thought, Wait a minute, this is not as hard as I thought. One stroke, two stroke, three stroke. I'm like, maybe I've just, I've just denied that I'm actually gifted at this. Maybe. I'm making progress come out. You hear the roar of the crowd. You keep going. I thought I was doing so well. I thought I deserved a little bit of a break after the first length. I thought, let me survey my competition. So I clambered onto the side and have a look back over my shoulder. I thought, leave the tumble turns for the rest. You know? So I held on the end. I looked back and I saw on the other side of the pool... Greek God after Greek God was getting out after their second length. <laughs> and I frantically looked for lane eight, and he was also just finishing on the other side. So now I realized the horror dawned on me that I was going to swim the last 25 meters on my own. <laughs> now, if you know those moments where the last competitor is coming in and they get that sympathy clap, <laughs> I got two sympathy claps. It was that long. My one-stroke, two-stroke, three-stroke, breathe became one-stroke, two-stroke, breathe, doggy paddle. (laughs) The longest moment of my life. And my mom, who, God bless her, (laughs) who loves me and is proud of me no matter what, she says this is, she was a place judge that day, and she said that was probably 
the closest she's come to pretending she didn't know who I was. <laughs> because there was a, some of the crowd came to her, some of the ladies said, is he okay, is he drowning? <laughs> so long and short of it, I got to the end. The win was the costume stayed on. But it got thrown in the bin after that, and I have not been in a competitive swimming race since that day, and never shall I do it again. But the, the whole story, that story gets so crafted. My brothers love it. By the end, they're on the floor weeping, thinking, just embarrassment central. And it's that's this, this one thing that gets squeezed out of us whenever we're under pressure to tell a story. And now that's a silly, long story. Just to get to my point this morning, is saying, what happens when you are squeezed and you're under pressure? When you're faced with a moment where you've got to make the big decisions or the pressures of life get big and you're having to come up with answers or you're coming, having to come up with uh, performance and, and you're realizing what, what comes out of you. If I'm honest, whenever I'm feeling a little bit under pressure in the past, my, my, what I used to struggle with, whenever I was, my identity was attacked or when I moved from Zimbabwe to South Africa and I felt so lonely and I felt a little bit isolated and rejected and trying to find friendships, my default, when the pressure hit, was for me to go and find solace in pornography, if I'm honest, in addiction. That was my default, when I was squeezed. Can I tell you, when now these days, when I'm squeezed and I'm under pressure, I have the propensity to snap. You know, yes, excuse the, the it's a redhead, you know, a little bit of a feisty redhead thing, and it, it, people just use it as an excuse. But actually, it, it's, it's sometimes it's bad what happens. When I'm under pressure, I snap, even with those I love, even with my wife. When I'm under pressure, I know. Terrible, confession time. I don't know about you, but maybe you're somebody under pressure in your marriage or under pressure at work or in relationships. What happened? What's the one thing that comes out of you? Maybe you are, are a runner. You just duck and dive. You disappear for a few days or you hide or you just numb the pain through, I don't know, other sources, other things. You numb that thing. What the default you keep going back to. Or maybe you're the person that under pressure, you just talk about the glory days. You know, when back in the day, you know, you meet one of those and they tell you they were head boy, they were first team rugby players, they were amazing, you know, wonderful. Every time they're under pressure. What's the one thing that comes out of you when you're under pressure? Let me tell you, getting back to our text this morning, the man Paul, in every opportunity, every moment, this was a man who knew pressure. He was shipwrecked, not once, not twice, but three times. He was bitten by snakes. He was run out of town for the gospel. He was maligned. He was spoken negatively about. He was put in jail as we've ascertained already. Many times. This was a man who knew something about pressure. And this man, when he was squeezed and the pressure was on, the thing that comes out of him, he tells us in this text, he says, this one thing. There's one thing that grabbed him. When he was squeezed, there was just one thing that comes out time and time again. And we want to open that up this morning, if that's all right. Just this one thing. And I pray that by the time we finish this morning, you would, that God will start to shift your default setting. That your defaults that you've allowed just to become a default and say, that's who I am, would start to shift. And you'll have the same language of Paul and say, actually, this one thing I can do. That's all I'm asking for us, that we'll leave with one thing. Is that all right? Everyone got the capacity for that? Good. So let's look at the first point. This is the first, I've broken up this one thing into three things. It's forget, Paul said, this one thing I do, I forget what is behind. I press on and strain towards what is ahead. And it's the first thing this morning, I've broken up for myself just to help understand this one thing, is we've got to forget what is behind. We've got to forget what is behind. I want to ask you the question here, what was behind Paul? Let me tell you two things. There was a sinful past. Paul had a sinful past where, as I already mentioned, and, and labored, he was a murderer of Christians. 
This was the man, the last man on the so much so the disciples were scared of this guy. At first, they didn't want to have anything to do with him because he had such a reputation for, for wickedness and evilness against humanity because of just their belief he wanted to cut them down. He had behind Paul was this sinful past, but also he had his glory days. In, in the Philippians 3, he tells us, I was a Jew of Jews. To one community, it was seen as sin. The other community, he was, he was a famed man, a man with, who, had, who had many accomplishments behind his name. And actually now, because he was a Christian, this community saw him as a disappointment. Paul, you've let us down. We had such high hopes for you. How can you do it? And actually, he became an enemy of this camp. And at one stage, he was an enemy. So this man had sinful past and disappointment behind him. But this is a man that gets up and he says, forget what is behind. The one thing I go back to again and again and again. I forget what is behind. Let me ask you this morning, what is behind you, sir, ma'am? Maybe behind you is sin, shame, guilt, regret, skeletons in the closet. Maybe there's sin done by you. Maybe you've, there's been anger-motivated outbursts time and time again. Maybe there's been adultery behind you. Maybe there's that abortion behind you. And that's your one thing, an affair. Maybe there's sin done to you. Not just by you, but to you. And you've been betrayed. And you've been abused. You've been divorced. You've been let down. You were the victim. And this one thing becomes your thing. That's who I am. And I keep running back to that thing under pressure. That's my default of who I am. But I want to tell you the good news this morning is that actually what we found out in the series, and if you read the book of Philippians, you and I, when we come to Jesus, that he swallows us up. We are swallowed up in Jesus. What am I trying to say by that? I'm saying this way. Once we come to Jesus, we get a new identity and it cuts off the old and the Father, Father God, sees you and I. When he looks at you and I, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see past. He doesn't see the past Gabe. He doesn't see even Gabe trying hard. He sees Jesus, perfection. You and I are swallowed up in Jesus, so much so that actually you and I, if we are believers of Jesus Christ, we are no longer called sinners. So much so that I struggle to sing songs where they declare that, you know, I'm just a wretch. A wretch like me. I go, I was a wretch. But one thing I do, forget what was behind. I'm now a son. I'm a daughter. The enemy loves to bring that one up. Oh, under pressure. You remember, but you always do that. That's who you are. The one thing. Bring it up again. When Jesus says, no, this one thing you do. Forget what is behind. This is strong stuff. This is the gospel going deep in. But I want to remind us again and again, I'll always do so, that what defines you and I is no longer our past. We are not defined by our past. Can I tell you, what does define you is who you are becoming in Jesus, who you will be in the resurrection. So much so that Jesus, when he said to a bunch of fishermen, in the natural, failures, because they dropped out of the education system of the day, he says to them, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus' viewpoint is not what you were, but who you are becoming. That's good preaching, sorry. I'm going to encourage myself, if that's okay. Let me tell you this morning, that actually, if people have sinned against you, let it go. Do you know Why? Because not forgiving is, is actually, when we don't forgive, it's living in light of our past. When actually we're called to live in light of our future. A lot of us are trying to get into a future that God has got for us, but we're dragging things behind us. 
I'm not going to let it go. I'm taking that with me into my future. Let me tell you, I, 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 all of this is done in response to what Jesus has done. And I know some of you are thinking, they're going, that's easier said than done. Just forgive. Move on. Okay, that sounds easy, Gabe. You don't know what's happened. And I admit, I know it's hard because my mind is not like a, a Microsoft desktop where I can just drag all the way to the trash bar, thing, uh, press the empty recycle bin and go, that was really therapeutic. What's next? No, no, I know that. I know I'm not like that. But that's why this text, actually the Greek words for forget what is behind, is not passive language. It's not just like, oh, okay, cool, forgotten, done. What's next? No, no, no. It's actually aggressive, active language. So much so, a commentator said that that word, forget what is behind, that phrase, is an active and continuous discipline of the mind and heart. It's an active and continuous, one thing I do, Paul says, I continue to forget what is behind. I continue to forget because the enemy loves to remind can I tell you this way, so much so that the, the Greek words bring out the fact that actually that notion of forget what is behind means this, disregard forcefully. I forget, I disregard forcefully. I reject openly. I declare I am non-observant what is behind. Wow. Now this is not, a, an ex, this is not an excuse to say, now we don't have to repent. Repentance is beautiful. Do you know what repentance is? Repentance is actually saying I'm taking off the backpack of my past, leaving it there and moving forward. That's repentance. Taking it off, giving it to Jesus, moving on. We're not supposed to stay in repentance though. We're supposed to be onwards into maturity, into our future that God has got for us. This is an ongoing day-by-day discipline. Forget what is behind. Secondly, this morning, the next slide says what we're going to do in this, this one thing is we have to press on and strain towards what is ahead. Press on and strain towards. In this whole text, Paul is using an Olympic metaphor. Now in those days, the Greco-Roman days, is what happened. They didn't have the Olympics every four years. It happened annually, every year. And whether anyone is in a Roman colony, whether it happened in Rome or in Macedonia, they'd have the games would happen. And Paul knows this for the audience, and he uses it again and again. A run the race with perseverance. He brings this illustration to life. And he actually says this, this thing, the pinnacle of that event, of the Olympics, was the, the sprint across, the final sprint where they all lined up on one side and sprinted across the stadium in front of tens of thousands of fans to the finish line. The pinnacle. And Paul is saying, following Jesus is like that. The athletes who have trained and trained and trained and got their six packs and are ready for the race, they're lining up and he says, the race is, the Christian life is like that, a race. Now, I feel that Paul goes on and on about that, but actually he said this is it's the pinnacle event. The pinnacle event of life is running for Jesus. And, and I love how Paul strains that because actually for us, following Jesus, sir, ma'am, I hate to burst your bubble, is not just a decision you once made. I put my hand up. Following Jesus, Paul does not give us this, that it's actually just a set of beliefs. My, what I believe, thank you very much, private. We don't get that in the Bible. And thirdly, actually it's not just a, a list of a moral code. Apply to my life and then I'll be okay. No, no, no. Paul goes on and on. He said, actually he uses this word. He says, strain to the point of your voice breaking. <laughs> strain. Strain, lean, push. And actually strain, I looked up in the, in the dictionary. It says, exert your body to the point of collapse. Push every muscle in your body to the point of exhaustion to the limit. This is the language Paul uses. And actually, I don't know if you're a runner, you'll know these moments. I'm not a runner, so my only reference point is the park run, 5Ks. But that's big enough for me. 
I only run usually when people are chasing me. But anyway, I have a wife now who wants discovery vitality points. But anyway. But uh, you know those moments of you running a race and there comes a moment where you, the runners will call it hitting the wall. Boom, you suddenly go, I've got nothing left. I'm gone. It's like almost this invisible wall. Like, oh. and, and actually you've got a choice. Collapse and fall down or press through it. My mind is better, stronger than my body. Push through it. That's what runners will talk through. But actually, we've been called to strain towards. Now, here's the good news. Is that actually the Greek word in this passage for that, strain towards. Uh, Paul uses it again and again, achieved and obtained. Th- those words of achieving, obtaining, striving towards, straining towards, is a word this. Are you ready for some Greek? Ready? I didn't think you'll do this on a Sunday morning, eh? Is kata lumbano. Kata lumbano. And that means to achieve, to obtain, to strain towards. But the visual imagery, the Greek language is pictorial, and, and his understanding is that actually, that, that uh, what's it called? That to cut a lumbana means to, to stalk a prey and then to catch it. Another picture was to be as if you're a policeman and you are, you're, 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 you're chasing and pursuing a thief and then ev- eventually to apprehend the thief. Cut a lumbana is that sort of language to grasp, to chase, to pursue. The language that Paul is using here again and again is he's saying, we are called to cut a lumbano Christ. Pursue him as a hunter. Pursue him as a police officer. Pursue him and to grasp him, to attain him, to grab hold of him. Now maybe you're singing and you're going, that sounds like hard work. Following Jesus is hard work. I want to be honest. It is. Because my natural man says, no. But I'm not a natural person. I'm a son of God called to something. But here's the great news, is that Paul goes on and on into saying this scripture that we just read, that actually the reason you and I can strain towards what is here, how we can cut a lumbano Jesus, is because we first have been cut a lumbanoed by Christ. That Christ, when he came, he stalked you and I as a hunter does his prey. Though we were in our sin and our shame and did not want any part of him, he said, I want you. I want you. And he cut a lumbano at us. He came as a policeman to apprehend us in our sin, but in our wickedness, pulled us out at the right moment. So much so that Christ cut a lumbano at me. He ran the race, and he, so much so Jesus said that he runs the race for the joy set before him, and he got to the point, you know, Jesus himself hit the wall. Do you know that? In the garden of Gethsemane, he says, I can't do this anymore. No, I can't, God. Please take this cup away from me. It's too much. But then, do you know what happened? Jesus didn't go, I'm done. He strained for what's ahead. He said, but I will cut a lumbano for you. Not my will, your will be done. He hit the wall and he pushed through. This is why you and I can have energy to strain towards Christ because he first strained to us, towards us. We can press on because Christ first pressed in. And he hasn't stopped pressing in. He hasn't stopped pursuing. He hasn't left us to our own devices. He is still pursuing our hearts and says, come pursue me. Thirdly, this morning, and finally, we've got to forget what is behind. We've got to strain towards the third one, to what lies ahead. The end of that race, was uh, they, had, they didn't have a finish line like we did, where they had a big pole. So when Paul uses the word the goal, he's talking about that big pole with the race metaphor. First one to that pole will win. And it was called the Greek word slopos, this big, huge, towering thing that people would strain with every effort to get to that pole. And that goal, actually at the end, the scripture tells us in verse 14 of this scripture, it says, um, to pursue Jesus, looking forward to what is ahead, the upward call of Christ in God. The upward call of Christ. And it's this, this incredible call. And what Paul is talking about there, it's not a language that he just stumbled on. He's trying to help these people. 
because they knew the culture of the day. What happens? The winner of that race in the, in the big coliseum of the day, in the big arena of the day, would run, they'll get there, and they'll win the race, and then what they would have to do would they would have to walk upstairs, do, 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 all the way up the arena, tens of thousands of fans screaming, wow, celebrating their win, all the way up to the emperor. If they were lucky for a visit from Caesar himself, he would be there, and the champion would walk up to the top there, and with confidence, would walk up to Caesar. The only time you could approach Caesar with any confidence was because you had won. And he would, and would come up there and Caesar would pronounce the wreath on him, would, would, would commend him by his name, and he was the champion of the year. And Paul's saying, he was like called up by Caesar, you come on up here. And Paul's saying, run the race because there's an upward call. Jesus is saying, come on up here. Let me tell you this. The great news for you and I is because of resurrection, we have a champion who has gone before us. Let me tell you about my friend, Jesus Christ, my Savior, Jesus Christ. What happened was Jesus died as God, but he also died, thankfully, as man, as my representative, because I fail again and again and again. But this Jesus, he died, but the great news was he rose again. And for the first time, what happened since the, God, the very beginning of, of time, when Adam and Eve sinned, the doors of heaven were shut to mankind. You've sinned. You cannot come up here. But a man named Jesus came, and the only requirement, they said, that who may ascend the hill of the Lord? They said, he with clean hands and pure hearts. And for generations and generations, they looked around, no one had clean hands. No one had pure hearts. No man can approach his throne. But there was one man who rose from the dead. He looks at his hands, they were clean. They were pure. He looks at his heart, they're pure. And this man, Jesus, as a man, as resurrected God, but resurrected man, started to ascend the hill of the Lord. And he gets up and he starts walking up the stairs to, to, to heaven's doors. And he walks up there, thunderous legs going up as he walks up, the resurrected Christ. The doors are shut and, the, and this massive fist starts banging on the door. Open up, you gates! Open up, you gates! And the angels, the doors have been shut for years, are tremoring. They're going, who is this King of glory? Who is this Lord strong and mighty? Who dares to come here? And out of his voice, he says, I I am the king of glory. I am the Lord strong and mighty. The doors that were shut to mankind forever were burst open by our champion. And they opened up and angels fell down as dead before him, saying, holy, holy, holy. They couldn't get up. And without him looking to the left or the right, his eyes fixed on his father, he walked right up to his father, sat down in his rightful place and said, it is finished. The great news this morning is that for every single one of you and I, if we believe in Christ Jesus, we've got a champion who has gone before us, who has opened the way, and this says, now, cut a Lombano with me. Run with perseverance. Forget what is behind. Run with perseverance for the goal set out before you, the upward call of Christ Jesus. This is the gospel that you and I hold on to, and here's what I'm trying to get at. For you and I, this morning, I say it with absolute conviction, the best is yet to come. As followers of, of Christ, there is always more than before. If we say, this one thing I do, I forget what's behind. I strain towards what lies ahead. I want to finish with a quote here. It says, it's a people without vision are a people without a future. And a people without a future always go back to their past. I'll say it one more time, a people without vision are a people without future. And the people without a future always go back to their past. 
What was Paul doing? He was trying to give them a vision of what Jesus Christ had done for them and was calling them onwards to. Not calling them to a walk in the park. He's calling them to the race. Strain towards that. Give everything for this thing that Christ has laid a hold of you for. Forget what is behind. This morning, I want to say no matter what, whatever happens, resolve in your heart to have this one thing as your detail, the default. And as we land this moment, we're going to have communion together. But I want to land this practically. There's going to be three questions on the screen. I'd love for you and I to actually answer. That's right. Can we have the questions? Here are the three questions. I'd love you to take home, wrestle, deal with right now in communion. Firstly, what do you need to forget? What do you need to let go of? Take your fingers off. Held on to it for years. What do you need to let go of? Today, bring it to the cross of Christ and cut that backpack off. That thing that's been holding you down. I want to run for Jesus, but I just can't. My sin, my shame, my abuse, my brokenness, my betrayal is too heavy. Jesus says, let it go. And then you can run. Olympians can't run with backpacks. Second question, what are the distractions in your life that get you off purpose? We're supposed to run with a goal set before us. Not looking to the left, not looking to the right. Identify them. Bring them to the foot of the cross this morning. Jesus, would you deal with this? And thirdly, what do you have in front of you that you need to strain towards? Yes, Jesus, but I also want to say, what's in your hand? Maybe, sir, ma'am, today you're going, this is all great, but I want to to ask you, maybe you've got a family in your hands. Maybe you've got a child in your hands. Maybe you've got a job. Maybe you've got money. You've got a calling that you've lain dormant, but you've forgotten about because you're wrestling with your past so often. Maybe there's a gifting, an open door, an opportunity. What has God laid before you that you're going to actually, I'm actually going to run towards that. I'm going to strain towards running in with my child, taking my child and and growing my family, what God's called them to be. Not an optional extra, but I'm going to strain towards that. What's in your hands this morning that Jesus is saying, will you strain towards? 